You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Well, I broke the number one rule of preaching professors all over the United States of America. Don't wear anything too flashy while you're preaching. Um, I'm just going to tell you that, right? Pastor Tim was one of my preaching professors, and others were my preaching professors in seminary, and they always said, watch what ties you wear on Sunday morning. Don't wear stuff so flashy. But I I needed to wear this because as soon as I saw it, I said, that's mine. Um, And... uh, um, some have told me I'm the unofficial winner. We didn't have a winner this year. I just said, let's just wear ugly Christmas sweaters and have the uh, have a great time. I, it, it doesn't matter. I just wanted to have fun with it. So anyway, today we continue our series, Majesty, uh, Majesty, seeing the story of Jesus like you've never seen it before. And today, as you saw, we're going to focus on this one person. The person who is talked about the least from the nativity scene. In fact, there are probably thousands of nativity scenes across America right now that are missing this person, and no one really cares. But yet, should they? An article in Christianity Today by a guy named Archer, and he had a very long last name, so I'm going to save myself embarrassment and you embarrassment of me trying to say that name. And we're just going to say that his name was Archer. During Burundi's civil war in the 1990s, I spent several months, this archer says this, in a crowded camp for eternally displaced people, like me, who had fled home but could not flee the country. One of my most painful experiences was to see fathers' healthy masculinity shattered by the change in their lives. Once the providers for their families, they now had to rely on relief food. They were, they were deprived of their freedom of movement, unable to do what they had been doing all their lives, faming, farming, or business. Some began drinking heavily to deal with their depression. I have since thought of Joseph, Mary's husband, who also had to flee and deal with the frustrations of providing without stability. He could have become like those men. He could have resented his local and colonial governments for the ways they deprived him of good choices and made him move all over the region. He could have resented God for telling him to marry a woman who his fellows might have said deserved divorce and not his support. He could have tried to make up for his threatened masculinity with a lack of cooperation or with demeaning, domineering legalism. But that's not how the scriptures portray Joseph at all. Instead, we see a man who God selected to be parent his son, to parent his son. Accepting God's unexpected direction at each delicate step. Not characterized by resentment, but by wholehearted cooperation with God. I've seen how difficult that can be, Archer says. How did Joseph do it? That's a great question. When we look into Matthew's Gospels, unquote Archer, for God's clues, for clues to why God chose Joseph for the sacred assignment, part of the answer lies in his pedigree. Just part of it. Matthew and Luke both trace Joseph's family back to David's royal family tree. Prophecy required that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, also be the son of David. But surely Joseph wasn't the only one qualified for that DNA prophecy match. No, there are some other reasons. Some other reasons that Joseph was chosen by God to be the father earthly of his son. Here's the first reason. God chose Joseph because of his principles. This is on your sermon outline in your bulletin. I believe it's on a white piece of paper, um, but you can find it in there. Again, God chose Joseph because of his principles. Here's the scripture passage that goes, or 
One second, don't bring that up yet. In the first century, Palestine and Israel, there was no legal difference between being engaged and married. I want you to understand that. Today we get engaged, we put a ring, we put a ring on it or on her, and we say we are going to go get married at some point. And there's a huge difference. You can break off an engagement today without a whole lot of lackluster. You can just say we're done. Give the rings back. We're over. Or ring back. And we're over. We're finished. But you can't do that with a marriage. Some can. But you shouldn't. The engagement set the marriage contract in place in the Old Testament history. Not in motion. I want you to catch that. Today, the engagement sets the marriage in motion. Then it set, it, it set the contract or the covenant in place. The wedding was the formalization and the celebration of it, similar to baptism. You come to know Jesus before you're baptized, at least you should. Immersed baptism. To get unengaged, they had to do more than just cancel their wedding. As I said earlier, they had to get a, literally a divorce. Joseph had, out that, had, had an out that was both legal and moral at this moment. He could have divorced Mary on the grounds of adultery and moved on with his life. But here's what it says in Matthew 1.19. Now you can put it up. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace... He had in mind to divorce her quickly, or quietly, quickly, probably quietly and quickly. A divorce was allowed both according to the civil law and the scriptures, which is one of the reasons why God calls Joseph righteous. Right here. In Matthew 1. Because he doesn't do what might have been the easy route. Now, before you judgmentally jump to judgment, consider Joseph's point of view. It's on the next slide. Here's the two things that I want you to consider. Number one, his wife, his fiance, his whatever you want to call her, was pregnant. And he knew one thing. It wasn't his. Now, what we like to do in today's world in 2021 is say, oh, but Joseph should have listened. Joseph should have done this. Joseph should have been faithful. Joseph should have, and like you would have. I know myself. Like we would have all been so faithful to that situation if we were in Joseph's shoes or sandals. He likely concluded that Mary had not only cheated on him, but then lied about it. He was hurting. Then she didn't just lie about it, but she made some strange, crazy story about being impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? You're going you're gonna to now make me out to be a stupid man? A man who doesn't have brains that can't figure out that the Holy Spirit doesn't do those kind of things, Mary? See, what we do sometimes is we put Joseph in this nativity scene and we make him a hero. And he is a hero. We're going we're to talk about it because he is a hero. He had principles. That's a great thing. But what we don't realize is that he was human and he probably had some of these thoughts in the back of his head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good story, Mary. But God commends him. He commends him for doing something, and that is for desiring to keep the divorce, the breakup, under wraps, but chose Joseph for the job because he knew he'd do the right thing even when faced with a load of stuff in front of him. That's why Joseph was chosen. 
Your wife just came to you with a very crazy story. Instead of choosing to ignore her story, you listened to her story. You showed that you actually have principles and you stand on truth in the midst of all of this junk going on around you. I wondered as I sat this past week, do I have principles when the crud's hitting the fan all around me? So one of the things that I volunteered for, and I'm beginning to wonder why, was to coach a middle school basketball team. Many of you may not know that, but I've been coaching King's Academy middle school boys basketball team. And let me tell you about King's Academy middle school boys basketball team. We have one player that travels the country. Today he will be playing three games all across this country. And he plays against teams for LeBron James and NBA players. He plays against these teams that these guys build. He is really, really good. In, two, in all four of our games, he's probably scored over 200 points now um, already this season. In one game, he had all of our points. No one else had any points. Then I have this guy who's this little, little guy. And, and Jake and I, we have a love-hate relationship. He's, he's, a, he's just a little guy, and, 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 and I love him to death sometimes. And sometimes he, he bugs me a little bit. And, he, and if he was here, he would know that, and he'd laugh. Because he'll say to me, Coach, I'm getting on your nerves, ain't I? And yeah, yeah, a little bit. And he's like, okay, I'll go down here to the end of the bench and just do my thing. But Jake didn't even know what it was to double dribble, didn't know what it was to travel with a basketball, doesn't even know what to do with a basketball once he gets the basketball. And so we're in this game on Friday night, and this just came up, so this was, this was perfect for this, this morning. And, and, and it was ugly. And I don't mean ugly like we lost ugly. It was like the refs were not calling things. And so, of course, one person was yelling at them very nastily. And I had players talking back to them. And finally, I just, you know, this, this sermon came to mind. And I said, principles when everything is hitting the fan. And I just said, time out, ref. I want a full timeout. What that means is I get a minute, 30-second timeout. That's if, so if you're watching basketball and you see a coach call a timeout and he goes like this, that's a 30-second. This is a full. So I called a timeout said, I want a full timeout. And I sat him down and I kneeled in front of the bench and I looked at him and I go, I don't care what's happening around us right now, gentlemen. We are representing Jesus Christ and we will keep our principles even when the refs stink. We will not play their game of trash talking. We will not play their game of hurting people's feelings. We will not do that. We will win or we will lose, but we will win or lose with principles. And when we break this time out, I don't want to hear any more complaining. I don't want to hear any more yelling and screaming. I don't want to hear any more picking at each other. I don't want to hear any more of this because you know what? The truth of the word of God is still true even when things are hitting the fan. We broke the huddle. Because you see, Joseph talked to me this week. I wouldn't have done that two weeks ago. I probably would have went there. Now, am I going to sit here and tell you that the coach handled himself in the most of godly of ways the entire game? Not even close. But there were times where I had to step back behind the bench and just say, principle. Principles. Do we do that? Do we do that here Or when things are hitting the fans, we just throw things into the fans. So more things hit the fans.
You know, Joseph had every right to be angry. He had every right to be ticked. He had every right to go off the deep end on this. He had every right to give her public disgrace. But he chose the higher road. And that's why God chose him. One of the reasons why God chose him. The second reason is this. God chose Joseph because of his compassion. Kind of same thing, but listen to this. Joseph handled this sensitive situation in a compassionate way by preparing to divorce Mary. What does it say? Privately. Privately. Instead of humiliating her in public. You see, being righteous means doing the right thing in the right way. Hmm. This is the kind of father that God chose to raise his only son. It's also the kind of father God chose or chooses more often than not today. Good fathers and husbands don't intimidate and humiliate. Joseph knew that God called him to love Mary even in spite of what was going on. And so even when that ugly thought of getting rid of her and putting her out entered his mind, the scriptures are very clear, and I believe the Gospel of Matthew and, and other Gospels that talk about this, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, actually, I'm not even sure Luke even brings this up, but I will say that in the Gospel of Matthew, I believe the writer here is trying to make a point He's trying to say that even when Joseph had those nasty thoughts, even when Joseph thought she was full of hooey-dooey and, and she didn't really get impregnated by the Holy Spirit and she was cheating on him and she was this and she was that, do you notice the words? I'll divorce her privately without disgrace. Listen to Deuteronomy 22, 22, chapter 22, verse 21, to get a sense of what Joseph faced. She shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done a, an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge an evil from among you. That's pretty drastic, isn't it? This gave Joseph the legal right to have, jo have Mary ousted. Though that was rare in the first century, we don't stone people these days. Now, you know what we do when we're going through divorce and nasty relationships? We put it all over Facebook to make them look bad. We slam them to our public eye of our friends. We talk to everybody and anybody who will give us an ear to let them know just how horrible that person is. And yet Joseph stands in this place where it seems like everybody in that town would have believed him if he would have came out and said, get rid of her, get, 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 get her gone, get, divorce her. And he could have blasted her. And what does it say? He wants to do it in a private manner. Quiet manner. See, Joseph was chosen because he had compassion. When he could have had every right to throw him out in the public. And let the public decide. Who would have blamed him? I, certainly looking at it from his standpoint now, I would not have blamed him. But he chose to do what was right. The third thing that Joseph does that God chose him for is because God chose Joseph because of his bravery. Now, here's what I want you to know. There is some fear that is healthy, and there's some fear that is normal. 
Fear of death makes us drive slower, theoretically, right? Okay, maybe not. <laughs> all right, apparently not. Do you know, uh, this is off the subject, but do you know Thursday night coming home from our game on Thursday night, we were only 45 minutes away and we passed eight accidents, accidents within a few miles of each other? Every turn our bus was supposed to take, we had to go straight. I kept on texting Michelle, ETA now 10 o'clock, ETA now 10.30, ETA now 11 o'clock. And she goes, what is going on? Apparently, fear of death doesn't make people do things. I can tell you this. I remember a fear of punishment back in my day <laughs> that prods us to tell the truth. But did I do it all the time? No. But boy, when I got called, I knew I was in it for it. Now that we're adults, or most of us are adults, the fear of telling the truth to our spouses, our friends, our church members, and yes, even our CPA is important. Can you imagine the fear of being stoned for your fiance's indiscretion? It's a good reason to keep from marrying her. His options weren't obvious. There was no easy way out of this jam because if Joseph couldn't prove that Mary was unfaithful to him, the divorce idea could backfire. What do you mean it could backfire? Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 18 through 19. It could backfire big time. And the elders shall take the man and punish him. They shall find him with a hundred shekels of silver and give them to a young woman's father, the young woman's father, because this man has given an Israelite virgin a bad name. She shall continue to be his wife. He must not divorce her for as long as he lives. So now we add another component to the issue. So say he goes ahead and says, we're going to go for a divorce. And the elders... Say, no, no, Mary's telling the truth. 100 shekels. I don't think I can overstate what a huge step of faith this was for Joseph to believe Mary or the angel of God in his dream. I've. I've had dreams sometimes that are so real that it took me a while to get my bearings when I woke up. How could Joseph verify whether this baby was a result of Mary's indiscretion or God's intervention? Joseph displayed great courage by trusting one person, God, instead of his own feelings. How about you? When the chips are down, or the card you're dealt isn't the card you're dealt isn't the best of hands, do you trust him or your feelings? When you're hurting, you're not sure you want to even continue. Do you trust him or your feelings? See, what made Joseph courageous was is that he, he trusted God above his feelings. He accepted God's leadership role. And he accepted his own leadership role. And so should we. You see, if our family, if our church family, if our family has problems, perhaps we should pray over them instead of panicking over them. Perhaps we should. Trusting God with the imperfect people in our families, and yes, even in our church, we must trust imperfection, which takes courageous faith, doesn't it?
Sometimes you've got to lay things in people's hands and just say, it's up to you. It's not exactly the easiest thing to do at all times. But we have to do it. Sometimes it's hard. But it defines us as courageous when we do it well. The last thing that Joseph did that that I believe God used to choose him was God chose Joseph because of his submission. Now this word has been... This word has been divided and kicked around in this culture to mean things that it just does not mean. Let me read the scripture passage and we'll get into that. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. See, here's the deal. Godly submission, good submission, not the submission that we're hearing about sometimes. You know, we we hear about, you know, submission isn't good and, and, you know, and then sometimes it's this, it's this male dominated word or, or whatever. And then the females want to dominate with it. And then the males want to dominate with it. And then the females want to dominate with it. And that is not godly submission. No, godly submission is the result of blending principles, compassion, and bravery together in your heart and being able to see that someone else may, may be able to do it just as well, if not better than yourself. Godly submission is what is talked about in Philippians chapter 2 when he's talking about the disunity in the church. And he says, listen, you want, Paul, the apostle Paul says to the Philippian church, you want there to be no division in your church. Here's how no division happens. Take the mindset of Christ Jesus, who could have said, I deserve to be next to God for the rest of my life. I deserve to eat grapes from beautiful women in heaven. Not really, but you don't get what I'm saying. I deserve all the privileges of heaven and I will not. I refuse to go down to the world and do what John 3.16 says. I refuse to love them even when they turn their backs on me. I refuse to do that. But he chose not to do that. And what he did choose to do was he chose to not see equality with God as something to be grasped. The Philippians chapter 2 says, And he came down as a baby in a nativity to save our souls. And the Apostle Paul steps back from that picture, from that beautiful picture in Philippians chapter 2. This was a couple weeks ago's sermon, uh, maybe even last week. Um, But he steps back from that beautiful picture and he says, Will we do that? Will we do that? This thing behind me, it's a beautiful Christmas tree. Do you know the fights that happen over Christmas trees? Some say we should get real. Some say we should get artificial. Not the church, I'm talking about in your own home. Some say these lights should be colored. Some say they should be white. I even fuel that discussion on Facebook from time to time and ask them, what do you think? But here's the real sad reality. Do you know the divisions that this thing has caused? Do you know the divisions that things like this thing have caused? served a church one time 
many, many moons ago. Not many moons ago, eight years ago. It was a blue church. Yes, it was a blue church. Picture Faith Church, every red brick on the side of Faith Church is blue. Periwinkle blue. And now you know what the church looked like. Before I got there, about two years, they were building on to their church. And they had a congregational meeting, and they said, we have bad news. I don't know why they started out like that, but they did. No one makes blue bricks anymore. Now, you know, so we're thinking about going with a, like a white brick or something like that and hoping that the blue brick kind of drives off the white and kind of looks nice and we're going we're to pick it wisely and the leadership stood before the church and they did this and I only know this because I read the notes. This gentleman stands up in the back and he says, well, here's my family of six. He says, I'll tell you this right now. If you don't get blue bricks, these six people will be gone the first Sunday you build. That pretty much nails the mindset of Christ. I remember telling Bishop Bruce that story, and he said, I've been in the ministry for 40 years. I've never heard that ridiculousness. So I sent him the notes. See, this is godly submission. Godly submission is saying, hey, listen, maybe you don't get what you want. Me included. Godly submission is when that bravery, when that principles, when the compassion for others and the bravery come together. That's godly submission. You see, Joseph took a pregnant Mary almost 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, then from Bethlehem to Egypt, about 760 miles with their newborn. Eventually, he'd, he'd backtrack at least 900 miles from Egypt to Nazareth, having taken the long way to avoid the trouble in Jerusalem. Joseph wasn't chosen because he was a smart man. He wasn't even chosen because he was a rich man. He wasn't even chosen because he was a famous man. In fact, he was very, very unknown. Joseph was chosen because he was a yes man to God. To God. Not to the powers to be. Not to the leadership of Israel. Not to anybody else, but to God. He was a yes man. God, you said this is so. So I will follow your plan. I mean, how many times have we actually looked at God? And, and, and I've admitted to this. In the Old Testament, there are times when God does something and I sit back in my seat and even people who study the scriptures and wrote, wrote, wrote commentaries will say this. They'll sit back in their seat and they'll say, God, if I was God, I probably wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have had him march all the way around that, that wall for so many times and then have the whole wall crumble. Just do it once and blow the horn. I wouldn't have had David go through all he went through to beat Goliath. Just go out there and punch him once in the nose and knock him down. And the story still ends up the same. No, it doesn't. Here's what happens when we don't have godly submission. We put ourselves in the place of God. And we say, God, I know what you said. It would be like Joseph reading in Matthew chapter 1, if Landon read, Pastor Landon read it this morning, it would be like Joseph saying, God, I hear what you're saying, but here's a, here's a better plan. How about you just tell the whole world what happened with Mary 
and so that I don't have to go through all this embarrassing situation. And you just, you just make it. And then, and then bring your son in with like fireworks. And so it's a grand spectacular thing so that everybody knows what's going on. So that there's no questions asked. And I'm not in this awkward situation and all these things. Could you imagine reading the scriptures and hearing Joseph beg God to do that? But that's what we do. Could you make this easier for me? Because God, I don't, I don't really like my principles being called on the line sometimes. God, I don't, I don't like it when you challenge me about my compassion levels. God, I don't like it when you tell me that I'm not, I'm not brave because I don't trust in you. But see, he doesn't do those things with the hopes that it will discourage you. He does it to encourage you. 1 Corinthians 1 puts it this way in verses 26 through 27. It's a perfect verse for, for Joseph. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were a noble of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Wow. There's this Facebook picture that goes up every once in a while, and I just shake my head and smile whenever he, whenever somebody puts it up. And it says something like this. It's, it's basically this scripture passage. It says, you know, when God called you to the ministry that he called you to, he, uh, he, he took time to, uh, um, to, um, to, to know about your stupidity. In other words, what they're saying is, is that he took time to understand that he knew you weren't going to always make the right decision. That he knew that you weren't the wisest of persons. You want to know why little Jake on my team drives me up a wall sometimes? Because I am little Jake. I remember being little Jake on my middle school basketball team. I remember being the one that was last picked. I remember the one being the one that was the least talked to. I remember being the one who when we picked kickball teams, Brett Kendig was called last all the time. Because I had this foot. And you can still see it from time to time. Now you're going to be looking at my feet. Don't. My right foot turns in. Doesn't turn out. It's been a problem since I've been born. Do you know what that causes for little elementary school kids running bases in kickball? It causes you to clip the back of your left foot and then you go down on your face. And so you are clumsier than clumsy. I didn't graduate Bible college with high honors. In fact, I fought for everything I got in Bible college. I didn't graduate seminary with high honors, got better grades than I did in Bible college. But yet I preached for every Sunday for the last 25 years, just about for the last 20 some years to a group of people, sometimes 40, sometimes 100, sometimes 120. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, sometimes God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Sometimes He chooses the weakest of the world to make the strong look silly. So maybe instead of puffing our chest out and instead of trying to get all the knowledge that we can get, it's not a bad thing. Pastor Landon, do not quit college. But instead of trusting in that wisdom, 
Maybe it's simply just about our heart this Christmas. Maybe God doesn't care that I have a master of divinity hanging on my wall in the office. Maybe God wants me to get up every morning and give him my heart. Maybe God doesn't care that you have all the answers to life. Maybe God wants you to get up tomorrow morning and say, you know what, God, I'm going to be brave. God, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be all the things that Joseph was. I'm going to submit to your will. I'm going to show compassion. Sometimes it's hard for some of us. You say it's hard for you as a pastor. Yes, it is sometimes. That's why we started the deacon ministry. It's okay to admit. See, the Evangelical Congregational Church a few years ago came to the realization that not every pastor is good at shepherding sometimes. And here's a newsflash. The Bible doesn't even say it's part of the pastorate. And so when I watch and I listen to people like, I'm going to embarrass her and I'll hear it tomorrow morning, but she doesn't have to book, she doesn't have to bake me Christmas cookies this year, Chris. Chris, somebody can call Chris and say, I stubbed my toe today. And Chris has got tears running down her eyes. And she's praying for them with all of her heart. And I'm sitting back there going, God bless you. Because I'm like, pop the thing out, your toe, and move on with life, man. Like, I'm being honest. Not Chris, not Barb Boganeski, not others in this congregation, and I'm not going to mention every name because I'll forget somebody. No, they, they, they want to hear all about it. How did you stub it? What did you stub it on? What, did, what happened? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear this. Okay. That's their gifting. But I want to tell you something. You asked Chris to get up here and do what I'm doing this morning. And she will tell you no until tomorrow. And then she'll tell you no all next week. <laughs> Why? Because Chris is gifted in mercy. I am gifted in shepherd or in pastoring, in preaching, in teaching. My opinion, not just my opinion, spiritual gifts tell me that. Yet what do we do? We shame people when they don't have the gifts that we think they ought to have. How sad. How sad. Because what that is, is a lack of compassion. Simply put. And so Joseph teaches us that God can use even the, the unwise of the world. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says the following... This Christmas spirit does not shine out in Christian snob. For the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans. Giving time, trouble, and care and concern to do good to others and not just their own friends in whatever way there seems need. Oh, is that Joseph? He could have said, Mary, you're out. I'm going back to my family and I'm living my life. But he didn't. And maybe you're tempted to do that this morning. Not divorce. But you're tempted in some way of your life to say, you know what? This is out and I'm just going back to what's easy again. Please don't. May this Christmas you give him your heart. 
And when I say that, a lot of people say, and I, and I know it because I've sat in churches where someone has said this to me, and my first thought is, well, I did that in 1985 when I was five years old. 1983 when I was five years old. No, so no, There's something different here. I'm not talking about salvation. Because we all know that there are some that have come to the auto rail, made that decision, and then they've walked a very different life their entire life. No, he's asking for your heart today. He knows you did it in 1983. But he's wondering, does he still have it? And that's what Joseph calls us to. Remember what he said in the video, and, I, and I'm going to end with this. Do you remember what he said in the video? He picks up the door and he says, he's just knocking. And while that, that passage in and of itself is speaking of salvation, what I believe, what I personally believe, and I believe it's backed up by Scripture, is, is that every morning, And you have a choice. You can start today by opening the door and saying, Christ, how would you like me to live my life today in a way that honors and glorifies you, in a way that encourages others, in a way that brings people closer to your cross, in a way that, people bring people, that brings people closer to your son, or you can keep the door closed and walk on and do your own agenda for your own self at your own pace, at your own disposal, and it doesn't matter what he thinks. your choice it's the beautiful thing you're not a puppet on the string he gives you free choice every morning and so my encouragement to you this morning is that you'll choose principles built in his word you'll choose compassion that like Jesus, you'll stand at a mountainside and watch everybody. And maybe it's even standing at, if there's people there, Berkshire Mall. And watching all the lost people walk around and look for the biggest and best gift. And they don't understand any of the meaning of Christmas. And instead of sitting there, putting them down and being judgmental about them. No, you sit on the sofa and you have what? You have compassion. Your heart moves. Your in fact, what that scripture passage really says in Matthew 9 is, is that Christ guts moved. Because he hurt so bad that people were trying to find the answers to life in everything but himself. That you'll choose bravery mixed in with all of that. That you'll be courageous, that when everybody else is looking around and, 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 and looking for truth in all the wrong places, that you'll be able to say, listen, I, I found the truth. And I may not know all the answers, and I may not know all the education, and I may not know all the different um, ways to, to lead someone to Christ, but here's what I know. I know this. I was stuck in the muck and the mirror of the world. I was stuck in blindness, and now I can see. That's what I pray for Faith Church. Because this is, just, this is just encouragement. The real work begins when you go out those doors today. Will you continue to follow him? Or will it be another possibly week of, it's a great message, Pastor. But this didn't get cracked open at all during the week. Who will you follow? Joseph followed God. I pray we follow God in all that we do, in all the choices we make, in all the moves we make, in all the bravery we show, that we will live for God. Let's pray. 
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for Joseph's example of what it is to be a follower of yours. Lord, it is, it is a desire of mine to be a man of principles. It's not always easy because, Lord, when the talk is big and, and everything is going on, sometimes the principles just get knocked to the ground. And, and so you just want to join in on the, on the talking that isn't wise. Lord, it is my prayer that we will be people of principle, we will be people of compassion. That instead of one of making a spectacle of someone, that we do our things and we do it in, in ways that honor you. That, Lord, we would see people who are lost and instead of saying, man, I can't believe that person just keeps on trying to find the answers in all these wrong places, that we would actually, our hearts, our guts would move. And we would walk over and we would take a chance and we would talk to that person. And we would love that person because you first loved that person. I also want to thank you, Lord, at the end of this service, Lord, that you, you use those who are, who are not popular. You use those who are, who are not altogether skilled. You didn't call Joseph because he had all the money in the world. You didn't call Joseph because he had all the, all the talent in the world. He called Joseph because he had a heart that wanted to serve you. And that's what you ask of this church and this body and this pastor. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to have a heart that wants to serve you. As hard as it can be sometimes. Help us to stay the course, run the race, and receive that crown someday from you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this celebration time. Help us, Lord, to be able to see some community members over the next several times that we meet together. Lord, I do pray that you will take the ads that we have put out on Facebook. I boldly pray this morning that you will use those, uh, those, those ads to bring in people to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, this, this community needs you. This world needs you. And we can be a part of getting that word out. Help us to do that. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Let's stand and sing the closing song this morning. It's a hymn, Good Christian Men Rejoice. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 